Welcome to OCD Whisperer Podcast. This is your host, Christina Orlova. Here we talk about all things OCD. If you're looking for help, download my free OCD Survival Kit. It's packed with resources and bonus worksheets to support you on your journey. Go to www.coreresults.com. Welcome to OCD Whisperer Show. With me today, I have Rich Gallagher. He is a psychotherapist specializing in anxiety disorders and OCD treatment based in Ithaca, New York. He is a graduate of the International OCD Foundation's Intensive Clinical Training and has trained over 200 clinicians on the diagnosis and treatment of OCD and anxiety disorders. He is also a widely published author whose self-help titles include The Anxiety Journal, Conquer Social Anxiety Journal, and The Stress-Free Small Talk. Prior to becoming a therapist, he was one of the nation's best-selling customer service authors in the late 2000s with four books for an imprint of HarperCollins. Welcome to the show, Rich. Well, thank you, Christine, and thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So first of all, we, you know, we were just chatting a little bit before you know, sort of the recording, and for anybody listening, I do want to say that Rich is quite an accomplished author and writer, um, and I'm highlighting that because there are some awesome blogs you have on your website and one of them is a topic that we're going to be covering today. So for anybody here, you're going to want to check this blog out later. Um, but we're going to talk a little bit about disgust-based OCD. And I think that's a very interesting topic that we don't hear of that often, um, hear about that often. But I do know in my clinical practice and just in general, you know, definitely people deal with it. And I think maybe just don't quite understand or recognize that as one of those OCD experiences. So if you can, please tell us, um, what is it? What are the symptoms? How does this thing manifest? Absolutely. And I'm embarrassed to admit this, but even though I'm a clinician and I have lived experience with, with discussed OCD, I didn't even know what it was until just mm. a few years ago. Uh, mm. There's been a lot of research that's evolved over the last few years about discussed based OCD. And it's a very important distinction. Um, you know, almost every clinician that I talk to tells me that a lot of their contamination OCD cases are very sticky. I always found my own thing was very sticky. As you know from my bio that you read off, uh, thank you for that kind introduction. Um, I'm a very hardcore CBT therapist. I've trained all sorts of people on ERP. It's the first club out of my bag as a clinician. It's helped me with other OCD themes tremendously. Uh, but for, for my contamination fears, they always were very sticky. And I also noticed that my clients with this theme had the, the most trouble with it. And thankfully, there's been a lot of research over just the last five to 10 years that only very recently has been started to apply to OCD that's really shined a light on a new treatment strategy that's a lot more effective with this theme compared to traditional ERP. So I'll start with a very quick neurobiology lesson. Um, you know, really the key to this is in the early 2000s, they did MRI studies that showed that disgust is processed in a very different part of the brain than fear. Um, so fear, as you know, is processed by the amygdala, which unleashes a short-term response to trigger the fight or flight reflex to keep you safer in immediate danger. And fear habituates. That's the whole key to why ERP is such a successful intervention. Uh, disgust, on the other hand, is processed by a part of your brain known as the insula, which is tied in with your gustatory reflexes uh, regarding what you eat. And it's designed to keep you from getting poisoned or breathing in noxious air and things like that. So when something triggers your insula as a disgust trigger and imprints on that, it goes into your long-term memory and habituates very slowly, if ever. 
So, I mean, for example, Christine, I mean, I've asked everybody this, but if if you ate something when you were a kid and got really sick from it, I bet you still avoid that food nowadays. Oh, of course. Yeah. I Certain agree. smells are, or yeah, all of those reminders. Yeah. You have an immediate like ugh, kind of reaction. That's right. And and if you try to push past it, it's just nauseating. And, and so that's the reason that disgust-based OCD is so sticky. Um, the difference between normal, I won't call it normal contamination, but the difference between fear-based contamination and disgust-based contamination is whether you're uh, afraid of getting sick or afraid of getting somebody else sick. That's fear-based. That's where a lot of the articles and books we've seen over the years about, you know, the hero story of, uh, you know, facing your fears works. Where it doesn't work is if you have a disgust-based fear, which revolves around, am I ever going to feel clean enough? I feel gross. I have that nauseating reaction that I have to a disgust trigger, except that I'm obsessed about it. In other words, if you've, the difference between disgust that we all have and disgust OCD is, like any form of OCD, you get preoccupied with it. Um, you worry that you'll never feel clean enough again. You worry that you're never going to sleep. That's one of my big triggers. Um, and so, um, so as I mentioned, I have lived experience with OCD, um, which was always pretty well managed. And uh, so what really changed for me, and uh, sorry, we've got some lawn mowing going outside my house here. Um, the uh, What really changed things for me was when I started to transition to retirement. And uh, I was diagnosed with a heart condition. I was put on a medication that for the first time in my life plunged me into a very severe depression, and it sent my contamination fears through the roof. Now, since like you, I'm pretty well connected in the OCD profession, I saw a couple of rock star ERP therapists. They were good therapists. They were doing what they were trained to do, but it worked horribly for me. I ended up traumatized and housebound trying to do more exposure. I would liken it to smearing dog poop over everything you own, trying to get used to it, and then discovering that you can't. And so every time I tried to do more exposures, they instructed me to do, <clears throat> I get more closed in, <clears throat> everything would get cross-contaminated, um, and it didn't work at all. And there's no lonelier feeling in the world than feeling like evidence-based treatment is failing you. So finally, I hooked up with a ERP therapist who uh, is a brilliant therapist. Uh, she did her doctoral work on understanding ERP really well. Her clinical chops were extremely good. But on top of that, she also was willing to listen to what was and wasn't working for me. And so as a colleague, we started looking at the literature and uh, discovered the this uh, all this research that showed that disgust doesn't habituate like fear does. Um, Dominica Ludwig in Australia did an encyclopedic meta-analysis of studies of ERP and disgust uh, in 2015 and showing that ERP is not terribly effective, the results are not terribly durable. In all the research that's been done since then, um, all these papers end up with the same conclusion, which is, golly, we need to study this more. And <laughs> so it's like, okay, I want to figure out how to get well from this. So after months of jiggling the key in the lock, we found a strategy that worked really well for me and helped me get well fairly quickly. And later we discovered there was some literature support for it, which is using judicious safety behaviors to get lots of practice, listen carefully in the situations you're avoiding, not trying to get used to the trigger. So the analogy I would make is uh, a new mother changing her baby who's disgusted by poop. The key isn't to get used to holding poop in your hands. The key is to get a lot of practice changing your baby, and in including wearing gloves if you need to or using judicious safety behaviors that move you closer to getting more of that practice comfortably. You're not trying to habituate. You're trying to practice. And... By getting more practice, 
those triggers soften over a very long period of time so that you're comfortable with the situation. And I found that situations uh, habituated fairly quickly when I took that strategy. So I went from being housebound to suddenly I'm going shopping, I'm leaving the house, I'm traveling, I'm going to Europe. I found I like Europe a lot better than being in my bedroom. <laughs> so so that's basically yeah, I, you know, I'm kind of, Honestly, part of it is that I'm listening and I'm also imagining, you know, anybody listening right now, um, I can kind of already envision, you know, a myriad of questions that people might have. And I think one of them is, is wanting to go a little deeper and kind of unpack a little more what you actually just said, because I, I think anybody listening to their head might be spinning like, wait, what do you mean? Like, I thought ERP is, you know, we're going to like exposed to the fear. And if my fear is like, I feel disgusted by whatever you know the scent or the or or seeing something or the baby's diaper whatever it is right mm -hmm. that i would think i i should do more of that and then over time i'll get used to it but you're saying that's actually not really what we want to focus on we want to change the target to say let's just get comfortable to be in those situations with kind of whatever it takes right because anybody listening the example you gave they might say well isn't putting gloves a compulsion, right? right? Exactly. Right. You so know, early on, when I disseminated this to other clinicians, I felt like the scientist in the horror movie. I'm mad. They called me mad. That <laughs> <laughs> the but what was important about this is, you know, there's a growing body of research that shows that the habituation model, frankly, doesn't work with disgust. Mm -hmm. And so, and I discovered the other thing that was a huge change for me. I love watching your podcast because a lot of my crimes are on it. But uh, I fell in with a community of other clinicians with lived experience and discovered for the first time in my life that I wasn't alone. Mm -hmm. And uh, that a lot of people were struggling with their themes with traditional ERP. As you know, that's a big driver between, you know, behind what led to popularizing the inference therapy movement that I know you're part of nowadays. <laughs> and, uh, you know, training. And uh, inference therapy wasn't my modality, but I'm really excited to see that we've started to open up dialogue to treat traditional ERP, which I still love, as a tool and not as a religion. Because at the end of the day, whatever you're trying needs to work. Well, I um, think I think that's the point, right? The, in, a, in a bigger kind of conversation, it's that it's nice to have different options and different ways to help the client, right? The, or whoever the person is that's struggling, it's whatever it's going to take to help them get better, right? Some people respond very well to kind of more traditional ERP and imaginal exposures and the, the live exposures and a good response prevention plan. And some people do much better when we infuse more ACT concepts, right? Like let's connect to your values and let's really connect to, you know, what's important for you. And, and are you willing to, you know, have this experience in the face of, or because this other thing is more important for you and, and you really want that. Then we have, of course, you know, uh, um, I know uh, rumination focused. Oh right, uh, right. We have Greenberg's work. Uh, we have also Dr. Reed Wilson, you know, and and his kind of six moment game where he's doing more meta. Like, let's talk about that thing you want there. So if you want that there, then it stands to reason you're it, like you're going to want to then go through these things, right? And then here comes right, inference based exactly. CBT, which is like completely different, not behaviorally based at all. It's all about. Um, you know, that inferential confusion, right? And that co cognition process and the Absolutely. stories we create and how we get wrapped up in our brain. Like you said, we get very preoccupied. OCD is really interesting in that way. 
Um, you summarize this perfectly, and I want to look just a little bit because, you know, what I've proposed is basically pure act, not the kind of gently talk you into more exposure act where you are following your values and you're willing to tolerate distress because of it, but where you're following your values, period, and you're trying to make yourself as comfortable as possible to do lots of that, uh, to get used to functioning better. Um, so, it, so it's very, very much act-based in this case. Uh, but to break down some of the other things that you mentioned here. I feel that ERP is a very humane treatment strategy when it's titrated appropriately, and it has very quick results. I really love, you know, if I compare it to inference therapy, inference therapy is wonderful because it's cognitive, it doesn't involve exposure, and it gets to the root of what's going on with uh, OCD when it works. Uh, ERP, on the other hand, uh, gives you very quick results. You know, in other words, if you hit that extinction burst on a small scale, you get hooked and want to then go further. And so I, I think it's a great modality, but it has to work. And that's the key is that, uh, so I, if you've seen my blog, I do a lot of advocacy nowadays about treating things like ERP as a tool and not as a religion, because uh, it, it was really a good experience for me to realize what a dark place it is to be part of that 40% treatment failure rate that we always accepted and realize what a horrible, hopeless place that is to be in. And so in addition to having a, good discuss protocol nowadays working for a lot of people i've always been pushing to uh you know get people to open up their toolkit and open up the tent to new ideas i'll say one quick thing about this um, and we'll get back to disgust but there's a culture issue here in the sense that erp by its nature um has led a lot of therapists to believe that their job is to convince the reluctant to do the uncomfortable um, and i don't agree with that on a couple of fronts number one I, I always practiced very humane, well-titrated ERP, and it worked really well for me. I had like a 90% treatment response rate with my box scores with the, my clients over the course of my career, going gently and uh, and collaboratively with people and not being Dr. Suck it up. But the other important point, so that's there's a cultural context that we need to change, where people presume that if treatment is failing, it's a motivational problem. And I never assume that. I always assume that the failure is in the method and not in the client. Yeah, no, I mean, I thought, yeah, there's a lot, a lot in that. Um, and, and like you said, right, I think a lot of it has to do with, as you get better, you get like, like, you know, the statement when people say, like, aging with fine wine, right? Like, as you get better as a therapist, and you become better with, with understanding the nuances and really knowing OCD, you do start to implement ERP you know, I, I, in one of my episodes, I called it, it's like, you know, the art of dancing. It's like, it really is an art form. You really do have to kind of know how to, how to shift, how to change, how to turn, how to pivot. Well, um, right. And, and how to really teach people to be able to internalize it so they can then think in that way on their own. Right. So that you develop kind of what I call that ERP mindset so that then you can mm -hmm. start to adjust and implement live moment by moment as you're going through, you know, and, and obviously triggers are going to exist. It's, it's life. It's not like, you know, you learn some treatment modality and now magically all triggers are gone. Like, well, no, life is still happening and things are going to still happen. But at least now, you know, you understand what's going on. You understand better how your brain is working and what you need to do so that you don't get stuck. I love that analogy. I'm going to steal that shamelessly. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what's important about what you just said, Christina, is or, uh, is the fact that it, it underlies a mindset that you bring into the therapy room. Um, and my mindset is that of a helpful consultant, not as a coach with a whistle uh, who's trying to 
push people to do the hard work of, of recovery. And I've had a lot of success with that. And I think that's the way, knowing what my experiences were when it didn't work. Um, I think that's the way everybody should think. Yeah. And like I said, I, I you know, again, it, it, I think it just really so, so depends on the client, right? Because I, I'll be honest, I, I have had clients where, especially with like intensive outpatient programs where they really needed, you could just tell they needed to lean kind of on me as a, as a therapist to challenge them more. And there's other <laughs> folks where I needed to help them pull back a little bit because they were, they were going a little too far. Um, right. Absolutely. So it's, it, 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 I think, I think exactly, you know, you, you do have to be able to read the person, right. And respond and respond to what, what is their need and how can I help kind of shape this to keep help, helping them move along. Right. Because once they, they kind of get through so, some, phases, if you will, of, of mm-hmm. treatment, the people usually are like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad I'm here now. Or, oh my God, I get it now. Or, oh, um, right. Again, not, not that you're forcing, you know, I think we all would agree. This is not a place where you want to talk somebody into it. And it isn't always motivation. Sometimes OCD can just be really intense and you're so kind of locked, gridlocked in your brain about it that, you know, you're just kind of stuck in that moment. All of those things can happen. There's so much, you know, variety or variables that, that could be at play. But I think, you know, yeah, it, it's it's important to be flexible, right? Mm-hmm. And to your point about, you know, the discuss base, like that's, I think, an interesting point to say, hey, here's one of those where like, you know, I was doing ERP, but then suddenly I hit that percent of where it wasn't working, you know, and then what, right? And then you do, you can't, you can't help it. As a human being, you're going to internalize it like, oh, I'm broken or something's wrong with me or this treatment doesn't work for me or mine, my exactly. theme is somehow really, it is really different or it's untreatable, right? Those are all the places I can imagine that you would go. And then of course, you're going to feel even worse, Um Right. And so that flexible Absolutely. point of knowing that there are other ways that you can address things, which is, you know, again, why I wanted to have this conversation with you, Absolutely. you know, for people to hear this, that like, hey, if this is a theme you're struggling with, there is an approach that just needs to be shifted. Right. And um, and it's just knowing to look for that or to ask for that. Or if you're if your clinician maybe isn't fully aware of it, that's OK. But you're going to have a link we're going to put here that you can read this article. Right. So you can understand it better. Um, and with that, you know, I do want to ask you, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, how can treatment help? Like, I I know I read in one of your, Mm -hmm. um, articles, you talked about mastery over avoided places versus Mm -hmm. ERP. So how is that really different than ERP, right? Because some might say, well, that is ERP, isn't it? When you're mastering, you know, like facing Mm -hmm. places you're avoiding. So what really is that key difference? That's a great question. And I, by the way, I love the way you framed uh, strong exposures and, and nudging people as well, because I, I agree with everything you're saying there. So, But to this point of mastery, you're absolutely correct in the sense that getting over any avoidance eventually means doing the thing that you're avoiding. So, um, And in a sense, what I'm proposing is a form of ERP, but it's, just, it's not a habituation model. That's the key, is that because disgust changes over a period of months, years, or never, um, and you're learning to live with it rather than to, to get over it. Your goal is to master the situations that you're in. And what really struck me is that this is exactly the way people who don't suffer from OCD deal with disgust in their lives. So, you know, paramedics uh, don't hang around with dead bodies all day to get used to them. They go to work. New mothers, um, you know, don't handle 
stick their hands in a pail of dirty diapers, they change their baby over and over until it becomes routine for them. Any veterinarians, uh, same thing. Uh, you know, I interviewed a, a good friend who's a very senior veterinarian about disgust and poop and all that, and she agreed 100% with everything in my treatment protocol. Um, so, And I want to say a little bit about strong exposures, too. There is a place for, um, you know, sort of that brave, wow, look at what I did type exposures. But one thing a lot of people don't know about me is that, you know, I'm almost 70 now. When I was in my 20s, I suffered from severe agoraphobia for many years. And uh, and I got over it with a brave, you know, John Grayson type exposure. I flew to Arizona where my family had moved. It was like going to the moon. Uh, and I, I mastered it. And it was, uh, it was great. Uh, you know, in fact, John Grayson makes a point that I really like about what you were saying about nudging people or exposure. You know, Grayson says, I don't want anybody to do something unless it, they're convinced it's a good idea, unless it makes sense to them. And that's precisely how um, I think one should approach, you know, ERP in all its forms. But back to your question about, you know, what's the difference between mastery and ERP? The differences are, number one, you're trying to be comfortable. You're not trying to habituate. You're, you're trying to get more practice, not more bravery. Um, secondly, you're using judicious safety behaviors, which are normally an absolute no-no in the habituation model, to enable that practice. And your goal is to function better in the situations you're avoiding because of the trigger, not get used to the trigger. So that's how I define mastery and why I call it that. I love that. I think that's very clearly articulated. Um, and and I think for anybody listening, that definitely, I, th- I just love that last point, right? Because it's so, so clear to say, right, this is really what our target is, is we're not trying to get used to it. We're just trying to master the situation because we're going to be in it because it's life. And you know, if this is a thing I'm going to have to do, then let me find ways. How can I do it and be as comfortable as I can and get used to it as I can, essentially, right? You know, a good example is, you know, so last, uh, you know, last year I, w- I went to Prague. I'm, I'm now a Czech citizen, incidentally, <laughs> and uh, the uh, by descent. And I'm, in fact, I'm going back to Prague in a couple of weeks, but uh, the uh, and I love it there. So as I'm contemplating, and remember, this is after, you know, I'm still, you know, after a long period of recovery from, you know, my own setback, um, you know, there's one of two ways I could have approached this. One is to say, I'd better get used to all this disgust before I can even think about going to Europe, which would probably never happen in my case. Or I can say, I'm going to Europe. I'll pack a, I'll put a pack of, you know, you know, food service gloves in my, in my carry on and I'm going to have a good time in Europe. (laughs) So, yeah. And I, you know what I love, I just love hearing that because I think it's important to have that distinction, right? Like, yeah, in a habituation model, those would be no-nos that there, there would be compulsive features, but here it's like, no, this is different. And also, like you said, going back to the earlier point you made, which is, that the neurobiology, that the, the part of the brain that processes disgust is different. So we do need to change that target and say, hey, when it's this, like this actually would make sense in this context. Um, you know, and if it's something else and more fear-based, well, in that context, we need to shift, right? Hence my point of being flexible with how we're approaching. And, and I think the best thing any person can do is learn about how your OCD is manifesting and then learn the different tools that you could apply in different situations, right? So that you you have more options for yourself, more tools in your toolbox. Absolutely. Um, and I want to put a finer point on this. It's very important, especially for ERP therapists who are kind of sucking their breath in at this whole idea of safety behaviors. There's good and bad safety behaviors. Good safety behaviors 
I actually think this may apply to more than just disgust. You know, it'd be interesting to see how that plays out over time. But, um, you know, good safety behaviors move you towards better functioning. Uh, bad safety behaviors move you towards avoidance. Uh, one example I've used in the past when I've talked to people about this is, you know, say your kitchen's been sprayed with insecticide and you can't get in the kitchen now. Um, a good accommodation is wear ratty clothes or gloves, get back in that kitchen, make lots of food, make delicious food and do it often. Um, but, you know, using Uber Eats to have them deliver your meals every day, that's a bad accommodation. I would not support that as a clinician. It moves you towards avoiding the things that you want to do. So I'm arm in arm with the ERP community on avoiding bad safety behaviors. Good safety behaviors are just like crutches. That's something you can use temporarily so that you can walk without injuring yourself or being in tremendous pain, which is an exact analogy to discuss triggers for me. Um, it's a temporary enabling technology that helps you get where you want to go quicker. I love that. Thank you so much for, for this, for your time, for this interview. And anybody listening, how can people find you if they would like to connect or read more, more information? The website for all things Rich Gallagher is anxietycamp.com. I have a blog with all my cockeyed opinions about OCD and ERP and culture and all of that. And Christina, awesome. I, I love your podcast and I, I, I really appreciate you having me on it today. Oh, thank you so much, Rich. Thank you for listening to OCD Whisperer Podcast. If you want to take your recovery journey to the next level, our online class, the OCD-free ERP Mindset, may be the right thing for you. It features video lessons, journal prompts, and worksheets designed to help you break the OCD cycle. Access it now and start thriving today at www.coreresults.com forward slash e-learning. All links are in the show notes.